Uh, take your Bible, if you would. Uh, that is why we gather, uh, is because we want to hear what it is that God has to say to us. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, in a short section that we're going to cover this morning, uh, and I've entitled the message, Running the Christian Race. Now, it's so fascinating just to be able to hear the different testimonies and journeys of the Christian faith, and I think there's something uh, celebratory about that. When we're able to hear uh, anyone's testimony, uh, especially this morning as we were able to, to experience that with Will and Ashton, just to see the transformative work of God. Do you, do you ever get tired of, of hearing those kind of things? You shouldn't. Because there's something that happens when we hear stories like that and story, your story and, and all the stories that God does in, in the work of the Spirit of God that ought to take us back for a moment and say, there's nothing I could have done to ever produce that. And, and, and the Christian race is always about remembering that you could never do this on your own. You needed someone greater. You needed an example. That is exactly what Hebrews chapter 12 and in the entirety of the book of Hebrews is all about. Let me just set the stage a little bit historically and contextually. Uh, you, if you have one of a study Bible of some sort, you'll recognize that in the book of Hebrews, uh, no one really is 100% sure exactly who the author is. Some want to say Paul, uh, others would just say it's unknown. But what we do understand is that the content of the, of the Christ-centered approach of this author helped the Jewish community that was a newly uh, immerse, uh, immersing community uh, out of the persecution that started even in Jerusalem at the day of Pentecost, but now they were experiencing challenges. And this is why he used imagery, imagery like running the Christian race. What we begin to notice is he has a couple objectives. If you were to go back all the way to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, these are some of the things that you are going to hear the author say. He, meaning Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power and after making purifications for sin he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high here's one thing that you can keep in mind all throughout the entirety of the book of hebrews there is a central focus a central figure and it is all about jesus and it is all about people who he's come to save which means it's all about sin now, you might not think that's the most popular thing, and it isn't today, but the reality is, is the good news is only so good because the bad news is really that bad. If we didn't have a Savior who did what He did and was able to purify us from our sin, we wouldn't hear testimonies like that. You wouldn't be a believer sitting here in, in awe and appreciation, singing, don't you love this, is He worthy? He is. There is no point in time ever in history or ever will be where, where a person will be able to not say what, what the angels uh, would say in the book of Revelation, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You know, we lose this essence of his purity and his holiness at times when we live the Christian life in a world that has been tainted and impacted by sin. And we need to be reminded of the holy life of Jesus Christ. Notice in Hebrews chapter 2, he also goes on and says this. It says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. What good is it to have a Savior who's purified you from sin, who is somehow distant from your life? If he's some deistic figure that somehow wound up the clock and let it go and is impersonable and doesn't want a relationship with you. How do you live the life of the, Christian, of the Christian race with a God who seems to be so distant? And the author's saying he's not. In fact, he did something so that we could say, here's a model of what suffering in the midst of the world and living as a Christian in this world looks like. And so here's a couple of things. When he talks about the race, you can expect there's going to be a race that includes suffering. It, it includes trials. 
Now, there's a whole bunch of glorious things, and, and, and we could go through all the redemptive work that, that happens at a person's salvation testimony, and they're redeemed, and they're adopted, and they're filled and dwelt with the Spirit of God. But guess what? You're going to need all that because there is suffering, and there is trials, and we have hardships, and the, and, and the Word of God is what sustains us as we look at the person of God. And it is without, without that, there is no way to run this Christian life effectively. He goes on in Hebrews 3, and he, and, he, and he continues with this. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Now, you'll notice the thematic approach of the, of the author of this book is challenging those listeners over and over again through the book to stay the course. Don't fall away. Now remind yourself, this is a very Jewish book. If you were to read the, con uh, the content of this book, you are going to notice a heavy, heavy aspect of, of Jewish perspective in its historical context. Which means there's going to be a lot of language like, what about the priesthood of the believer? And is there a sacrifice that was good enough to be able to take care of all of the purification of the sins of the world that were needed? And he does that. And he reminds us that, but at the same time, he's saying to these Jewish individuals and, and, and perhaps even some of the Gentiles that were in the midst of this uh, interspersed community, and he's saying predominantly to them, be careful because there are other people who want to lead you down a different course. And haven't you noticed there's all kinds of things in the world that you, that, that you as you're running this race, and all of a sudden it kind of seems like, well, maybe that's a better way. See, the world is filled with places like that, and the Bible is here to remind us that we have to stay the course that as its center has the centrality of Jesus Christ. And yet these Jewish believers, being in the midst of, of a heavy context of persecution, they were struggling because they were, they were looking at their Jewish brothers and sisters, those who are nationalistically Jew, and they were saying, well, how can, how can this be? We, we don't want to accept Gentiles. There's also another element going on of Jewish, or what we call in Galatians, the Judaizers, who are trying to say to them, you, you, you can be a Christian, but you've got to follow all the historical uh, perspectives of the Jews. And, and the author is trying to bring them back to perspective that it is not the Old Testament Jewish sacrificial system. It's not your works. It's not the good things you are because there's nothing good about you. I know that's the most hope-filled thing you wanted to hear this morning. But it's true. It's true about you. It's true about me. There is nothing good, nothing admirable in a sense where God looked down and said, oh, I'm going to take this one. He's going to be on my team because now I'm going to, I'm going to do it. He, he picked us out of the dump and he redeemed us and he adopted us into his family. And for that, we should be forever grateful for the grace of Jesus Christ. But he doesn't stop there. In Hebrews chapter 4, he continues on and says, since then we have a great high priest. Notice this, this Jewish flavor who passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. Let us then, be, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive and find grace to help in time of need. I'll tell you, you want hope? You want to be drawn to the person of Jesus Christ? I'll tell you what, recognize who you are before Christ and your need for a Savior and that He can sympathize with your weaknesses. He, you, you think about the suffering Jesus experienced. There is no amount of, of, of physical or spiritual suffering that you and I could ever go through that would match the agony that Jesus lived with the entirety of his earthly ministry. And yet, out of his own compassion, he gives, the author gives us texts like this so that we can do what? Let us then with confidence draw near you know, here's the problem as we run the race is sometimes over the course of our Christian life is we're super excited. 
Have you ever seen a new, like, new person come to Christ and they're just bouncing off the walls They want to tell everybody about Jesus, but then you fast forward like 15 years and they're, you're kind of like, what happened? See, the Christian community can lose a sense of this enjoyment and their position and their standing which means that at times, all the hope that they possess, they cannot see it. And I just don't want you to, to miss this. If you go back and you begin to read through the book of Hebrews, I'll tell you, pay attention to this phrase. Let us, let us, let us, let us, let us. You think he's trying to say something? You do not run the race alone. You were never intended to. You were never intended to be some isolated individual out on an island all by yourself and think that you can live a successful Christian life. It's not going to happen. Because what he's saying is, this is a community-driven support system. That's what you're experiencing here this morning. A community of people who believe in the centrality of Jesus Christ, that people are saved by faith, by repentance and faith in Jesus alone, by the scriptures, and they are given the most precious, incredible righteousness that never belonged to them, and it was overlaid to their account in such a way that when the Father in heaven looks down at your life, he doesn't see you anymore, he sees him. Doesn't that just astound you? And I never have to wonder, by the way, if I'm going to get to heaven and he is to say, well, are you good enough? And I can just say, I have never been, but there is one who gave me this precious gift of righteousness, who had given it to my life, and no one can ever take that, that, that righteousness away. And for that reason alone, you have said that I am your adopted child. Believers never, never, never tire of Jesus Christ's involvement in your life. Never tire of coming to the community of believers and saying, let us with confidence draw near with the most holy and sincere faith. If you wake up on Sunday morning, you're like, oh man, it's here already. There's something wrong with you. This is, I always tell my children, there is something different about Sunday. You don't just get to worship alone on Sunday. You get to worship with every other believer that you have covenanted with. Oh, there is something special about that when you look over and you see people exalting the living God and they love him like you love him. It's glorious. The author of Hebrews wants to remind them that because it was so intense. The challenge to turn away, to go back, to not fit in. Because if you would just remember and understand historically for the average Jewish individual, if you came to be a believer in Christ, what would happen? Your family disowns you. You're put out of the synagogue. This, is, this happens over and over again in Jesus' ministry. And the synagogue was the hub of clan activity. And when you were put out of it and put out of the community, everybody knew it. And here's the thing, God knew what would happen to these individuals and so he creates a brand new community so that they could go from one community that they would be kicked out of and welcomed into the Christian community with open arms, filled with the Spirit of God, doing the work of God over and over and over again. Now, remind yourself in Hebrews, it's, not, it's also very challenging that's why in Hebrews 5, he says a comment like this. He says, about this, meaning the priesthood of, of Jesus Christ, he said, it's hard to explain since you have become dull of, dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Jewish people were the ones who were the recipients of the very oracles of God. All the testimony of the prophets and the law and all the Psalms that spoke of Jesus. He said, now you're dull of hearing. Guess what? It's very easy at times for us to become dull of hearing. We need at times, some may need milk instead of mature food. His goal for us is to live a life of maturity. Now in Hebrews chapter 12, as we fast forward, we're going to recognize, because we're only going to park on two verses. You get all this backdrop and all the centrality of Jesus Christ and all the necessity to live, the, to live this life and run the race successfully. And notice what he says. Hebrews chapter 12, 
Here's the verses we're going to park on this morning, 12, 1 and 2. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's our key phrase as we think about it in the text that we're in. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Have you noticed this? Sometimes you view your life and you maybe perhaps view this last week. Was every part of the race that you ran last week enjoyable? I venture to say, you could go back and you'd say, if you had to redo it and God allowed you to be able to pick what you wanted to happen, you'd leave a whole bunch of stuff out. Because in our mindset, we think that smooth sailing is always the easiest thing that will produce the greatest amount of maturity, but it's not. In fact, God is so wise that he understands that we need a level of pressure at times in our lives at various moments. Thank God it's not all the time. And some experience it more than others at different moments but he knows that we are going to need a level of endurance. Now, just keep in mind, when he says, let us run the race, okay, even the, even the Greek language understands that the word race that is used is the word agon, which is to agonize. Now, that's not a real promising thing, like, hey, guys, you just baptized, you're, you're, you're excited about your faith, but uh, you're going to have a whole bunch of struggle, like, Welcome. <laughs> like, aren't you excited? Like, next week you're going to suffer. <laughs> but he's like, but it's okay, because I'm going to suffer with you. But that's not a very popular thing. In fact, in our culture, we want everything to feel good. This is why sin is a very uh, challenging topic for the culture we live in, because sin doesn't make you feel good. It actually is intended to help you feel bad, because there's real guilt that needs to be taken care of, and if you don't feel bad about your sin, there's something wrong. And the, and the reality is, is that sin is the very thing that disrupts a centrality of Jesus Christ and a successfully running individual in the Christian race. So I think it begs the question that you all and I have to ask, and I've been asking myself in preparation for this as well, how well are you running? It is our Christian duty to evaluate the race that we run. Now, it's not your job in the Christian community to just simply evaluate everyone else's race. I know people love to do it. And you'll talk in the foyer and you might go for coffee and say, do you see so-and-so running the race? Do you see the outfit they were wearing running the race? I mean, did you see on Facebook, they took, a, they took a, a, a selfie of themselves, like, just finished devotions, yes, out for a run. I mean, yeah, there's this self-focused perspective of the culture. It's all over social media. We have to think to ourselves, where and what I post and what I do, will it display the very centrality of Jesus Christ? That what I love is what he loves. Instead of what he loves, I post what he hates. <laughs> you really have to examine before you hit submit or post. Or you record something. Because the Christian life, the idea of endurance is to hold fast, to hold out, to bear up under a level of adversity. And I cannot think of anything more fitting than this author to describe it as a race. The Christian race is not a 100-yard dash, if you haven't noticed. It is a lifelong run. Now, I'm super thankful of this, because I was a runner all my life. My dad got me into this. It was kind of this horrible thing. Like, I don't know if it was a punishment, but it was part of the suffering process. Uh, it's like, let's have you run long distance, and then you'll understand what suffering is. Now, in the journey of the race, 
He would always teach me all kinds of different things as we were out and I was hurting and I was struggling. And that, my dad said, all right, come on, keep, keep going. But it's a marathon. That's the reality. It's a marathon. Now, in the community of believers, you notice this, some have been running that race for some time. I was down in the class this morning. There are many down there who have been running the race a lot longer than I have. And they feel the burden and the weight of running that race. And you know what I'm so glad to testify of? That I go there and I see someone who has run for a distance and I know they're way up there. And they're going, it is worth it. We have a group of people here who we can look to and think, you know what? They're displaying the fact that this is a worthy race to run. It is so important to us to understand this reality. I remember on one particular occasion, my, uh, my, my dad and I had trained for a marathon and uh, uh, these, these grueling components. And we, were, uh, you know, we weren't looking for time, we were looking for finish. Uh, because as a Christian, I mean, think about it in this way. God wasn't cruel in this way. He gave you a finish line. Do you imagine if they're, you, go run, I don't know when you're going to get to it. I mean, how cruel. He doesn't. He says, there's an ending, and you're not going to experience this, and then you're going to run, and then you're going to finish. And it's not because of your greatness, it's because of Jesus' greatness that you're going to finish. Well, on that race, uh, we got to about the 13-mile marker. We're just about halfway uh, you know, you're starting to feel it a little bit, and uh, word gets around in the big pack of other runners that were also there to finish, praise the Lord, uh, and the word gets around slowly that the winner has finished. And, you know, so you're kind of like trying to, hey, I'm already at 13, and he's done. And then one gentleman yells out amongst the pack, he goes, oh, come on, anybody can run two hours. We're running four. <laughs> I was like, I am with an elite group right now. <laughs> See, the reality is, is that there is a, there's an enjoyment of being with a group of people who are running the same race, and we're not trying to outdo each other. We're trying to exalt the one who is there at the finish line, welcoming us over, saying, Come home, my son, my daughter. I want to talk a little bit this morning about three tips for running well that are found in this particular small section in these two verses. First of all, tip number one is this. Look around. See, this whole idea of therefore in the Hebrews chapter 12 is all to point you back to this Hebrews section of what we often describe as the hall of faith. Now, it's, you know, you read through the Hall of Faith, and we won't do it this morning, but you can go back, and I would encourage you, go back and familiarize yourself with the people who are in this Hall of Faith, because it kind of stands out, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, I mean, remember this, and you remember this story, and you remember that story. Oh, look at their faith. Looking around isn't to look around in competition, like, look, I'm better than. The looking around has everything to do with a model of faith. It wasn't that Abraham is better than you and faith and Abel was better than you and every person in that list. What they're saying is, look at their faith. And then he comes to Hebrews 12 and he says, okay, from the human standpoint, you look around, but if I, I'll tell you what, the best person to look to is Jesus Christ. But in the hall of faith, notice these people, Abraham. I mean, would you like to be this guy? He's, he's in the, he's what they describe as the Ur of the Chaldees in the heart of the Babylonian Empire. And all of a sudden, a word comes to the Lord and says, Abraham, uh, pack up your stuff. Uh, you're going to go and you're going to wander the land. You're not going to have a home. You're going to live in a tent and you're going to wander up and down. Uh, so how about that? Abraham's response of faith is tremendous. I mean, could you imagine being his wife and family? Like, okay, guys. So... This is unlike what I experienced when we're moving here. Like, I received a word that this is what he told me, and your wife says, okay, where are we going to live? Uh, we got a tent. We're going to camp. We're going to be campers now. And we're going to wander around, so we're going to put the tent up, we're going to take the tent down, and we're going we're to go wander throughout all the land that God says eventually is going to be ours. Uh, but I don't know how long this is going to happen, because she's probably going to ask, well, how long are we going to be there? 
uh, I don't know. Like, so let's uh, load up the camels and the donkeys, and uh, I guess let's go. I mean, you talk about the faith of Abraham. And then you think about these people like Moses who wandered the wilderness with the Israelites, complaining in his ear. You know, these weren't perfect people. That ought to encourage you, by the way. These were people who were not perfect, but people who were filled with faith. Now, and then you get towards the end of this, and he says, I failed to tell you about, now notice this, Gideon, Barak, now get ready for it, Samson. Now go back to the judges for a moment in your mind. Anything good written about this guy? What this tells you is there's a story about Samson that's behind the backdrop of what's going on in the book of Judges that appears to be a fuller essence of a person who understood this. Now we get a glimpse of it at the end of Samson's life. But when you read the Hall of Faith, did you ever think of all the people you'd find there, it'd be that guy? No, not at all. I'll tell you what, there's a sense where we ought to say, you know what, as we look around, there's not a group of perfect people here at the chapel. This is not the perfect ministry. Being super careful as a new lead pastor <laughs> to say this kind of stuff on the first few times I preach, but you're not perfect. We're going to do things wrong. We've got things to sharpen places, things God wants us to do that he's yet continued to guide us to. But we get to do it together. We get to enjoy the, the centrality of Jesus. We get to be able to enjoy watching people run the race. We have to look around and admire people of faith. And can I just say this? Be a person of faith. So that when someone looks at you, they're not seeing you, they're seeing your faith in Jesus Christ. Don't be so enamored with, with, with everything that you're exalting yourself. See, because people of faith don't exalt themselves. People of faith exalt Jesus Christ. This whole example in Hebrews chapter 11 that points us backwards about all the examples that have gone before you. Think of the people, by the way, that have shaped your Christian walk. It's so that we look back and we say, I mean, you, you heard it this morning on the, on the video of the testimony. Oh, these precious believers who someone took them under their wing and said, let me show you the most precious, kind, gracious person that has ever walked the earth. And it's Jesus. And the transformative work of the Spirit moved in that person's life and drew him to a saving or her a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And now they're sitting there going, I am so thankful I'll tell you, you, you look, I look back at all the people who have shaped my life at the, in the course of my Christian race and people that I, I would expect to and then people that are often unexpected all of a sudden enter into that history of mine and go and from, from the Lord Jesus and go, I'm going to use this person in your life. And you know, not every person that was used in my life to shape who I am always approached me in the great, greatest, most gracious ways. Do you realize that sometimes people come to you and they, you learn from them, but they say hard things to you? That's part of what it means to be in community. You don't just get told and get to experience what you want to hear. You get to be told what you need to hear. And most of us need to hear that we, we, we look back at our lives and sometimes we falter in the race. Sometimes we struggle in the race. You think about it, examples of marriages, examples of parenting, examples of grandparenting and friends and children's, widows and singles, all these class classifications that exist within the body of Christ that we look to and say, oh wow, look at them living out their faith. Look at them living out their faith in this context. Admire the faith-filled community of believers. I'm telling you, I think this is something that is being lost in our culture for the sake of convenience and expediency. We're too busy to stop for a moment and admire something that could have never come from that individual. We're too busy to go out with somebody and just tell me, and just ask them the question, tell me, how has God shaped your Christian life? And rejoice with them. 
We're too busy at times to take someone aside who's wrestling and struggling with a suffering and a trial and say, what can I do to uphold you and lift you up? We're so busy, and then when we come to the Christian community, it's like we want a worship factory. We just come in and we get it done, and then we go out, and then we come back and do it on Sunday. No, see, this is supposed to fuel all the rest of the days of the week. That's the point. It's supposed to remind you you don't live alone and you don't live for yourself. You live for one who is greater, which is why it's so important, and I just love it as my wife comes back from the, from the ladies' event yesterday, why they would go through and talk about his story, her story. Because this story is all about how God is doing something in the life of people. It energizes Christians to look and watch other people's face. Uh, faith. But there is a temptation, isn't there? You look around and you're, and I remember doing this while I was running the, running the different marathon races. And, you know, it's like you look around and you might be dying. And you look around and somebody else is just like trotting along like they're just totally fine. Like they could run another marathon towards the end. Like, how are they doing this? The temptation is to begin to measure my race with other people's race. You begin to take your vertical focus and now bring it down to a horizontal focus and now you're discouraged because you don't feel as good, your, your circumstances are different, you wish you would have what they have, you become jealous and envious and unthankful and all these things. It's because you didn't look around in the Christian community and see the faith that was filling other believers and most importantly, keep the gaze going and look up. And see the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf, which all of a sudden energizes you. Notice in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things that promised, but have seen them and greeted them from afar and have acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if they've been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have no opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Oh, believers, I'm telling you, there is going to be a day when, when the trumpet sounds, when the Lord comes back and he sets up his kingdom and Jesus Christ will rule and reign and this will come to complete fruition and we will visibly see the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I love the picture in Revelation where he's sitting on the white horse with a sash over his shoulder with King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You will see him face to face. You will adore him and worship him. And you know what? Even perhaps maybe we'll be singing, is anyone worthy? And we'll be saying, he is. He is. But it, it's only him that is worthy. Now, as, as we look at this life, it is important for us to look around, but it's also important for us to look within. Notice this in the passage in Hebrews 12. He says this, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us. And it was so, it's such an important factor for every Christian here this morning to begin to have a, self, a personal self-evaluation of their own race. Here's where the evaluation starts. The author of the text says this. He says, be careful and lay aside every weight. The word that he's using is the word, the weight is a bulk or a mass. Now, uh, I'm reminded of this at various moments where my kids go back through our picture book and they look back at my high school pictures where I was in cross country and they, they look at this and then they look at me now and they're just like, Dad, like something's different. <laughs> and I think you have more bulk and mass on you. I appreciate that. Thank you for the encouragement, son. But the reality is, you'd never, all of a sudden, in an Olympic athlete race, if they're going on and, and they're panning through all the runners of the marathon, and the announcer's going on about who's the favorite for this, and then they pan to the corner with the most favorite winner, and he's strapping on one of those weight jackets. You're like, what are you doing? Do you realize that so many Christians, in the course of their race, are strapping on all kinds of impediments that are unnecessary? Not necessarily sinful but unnecessary. I remember one young man that I helped years and years ago came in and he was just, you know, 
struggling with time and self-control and all these kind of things, we begin to evaluate, and he, he began to kind of come out with uh, how we love video games. I said, well, I want you to catalog how much you play. He came back the next, after, after a two-week period of cataloging and journaling of how much he would play. And I'm sure he probably gave himself the benefit of the doubt a little bit, because anytime you ask someone that, it's like, okay, I don't want to see him how bad I am. <laughs> 40 hours. 40 hours. Now, at times, weights can move into sinful components where something that is not necessarily wrong becomes sinful. And that's where you have to begin to evaluate. And I would ask you this morning, what are the weights that tend to impede your running? One of the ways to evaluate that is simply to ask yourself this. Where do you spend your time? And what do you spend your time doing? Where do you spend your money? Who do you hang out with and why do you hang out with them? Where do you go and why do you go there? You have to begin to examine your own life to say, if you could get rid of stuff, and I don't know about you, but the older you get, the more you'd like to shed bulk. Okay? Running becomes less enjoyable the more bulk and mass you have. Okay? So the reality is, is running the Christian race is a whole lot more enjoyable when we begin to shed off some of the impediments that are impeding our run. But that only happens, by the way, if you take the time to look within. See, that's a work that's done not just here, but a work that extends outside of here. You and I have to be able to take a time alone with God to say, God, help me become more aware of the things that are impeding the race that you want me to run. It's very important to examine that as you look within. But then he also continues this. It's not just the weight, and then he says this, and sin which clings so closely. If there is one thing that you can be assured of in the Christian life, is something that's going to impede your run, it's going to be sin. And don't think that Satan somehow is like, oh, they entered the race. Like, now I can't, I can't go after them and tempt them. He is always trying to get you to run a different race. He is always trying to get you to quit. He is always trying to fill you with discouragement. And I can tell you, over the years of counseling that I've done, one of the most challenging things is the heavy level of discouragement that slows people down for a variety of different reasons. And they will say, I am so discouraged, I am so depressed, I don't know how in the world I can live the life I'm living. And this is not unbelievers, this is believers. Because they have, they have not been able to see the continued focus on the hope-filled, Christ-centered perspective in their life. And many times it will include both impediments and sins. And together we begin to evaluate those things. And since this, by the way, is both a community endeavor and an individual endeavor, that means somebody's got to know where you struggle and why. If you are so individualistically minded that, that you need help and you're all alone, reach out. There's elders and deacons and faithful Christian people here who want to come alongside you and help you realize that there's hope in Jesus Christ. Do not live this alone. You don't have to be that discouraged or filled with anxiety or fear or panic because there is one who has ran before us and he has done it perfectly so we can say there is hope in Jesus Christ. But we have to do the work to help each other. That means you just, I know that's uncomfortable, isn't it? Have you ever had to tell someone else or someone else pointed out a sin in your life? And you kind of wish they wouldn't have, but they did. And yet, you're kind of angered about it because you know that they're kind of right. But you don't want to have to admit it. Not that I go through this in marriage at all. And I give her some back too. We help each other. But we're willing to go through the difficulty in pointing out what is wrong with our hearts. And if it's sin, then we have to deal with it. We have to repent. We have to bring it back into restoration with Jesus Christ. And I don't live with bitterness. I don't live with disgust. And I hope she doesn't either. We find joy. That's the duty of the Christian race is to, is to run by looking around and helping each other. 
I mean, if we're running by people and they're so, and they're so t- tired and discouraged that they're laying down and we're just stepping over them and going, I got a race to run. There's something wrong. There's all kinds of people, by the way, in the, in the community around us who are, who are suffering and hurting. And guess what? We have an opportunity to be able to come and share the love of Christ with them and encourage them in the midst of what's going on in their life, and even perhaps use that trial and suffering as a platform to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he makes all the difference for them. But we can't tell people that if it doesn't make a difference for us. We can't invite them into a community that says, oh, we love Jesus, if it isn't true. But when it's true, and we look around, there is no, we should be unashamed to say, come here you're going to find people who love you. That's exactly what Jesus told his disciples, that they will know you by your love. But our love for Christ grows, and unfortunately, I I think the reality is, is that we don't like it to flow from this perspective. We don't like to see how bad of sinners we are. But it's only by seeing how bad we are the more miraculous and enjoyable and incredible grace seems. Like if all of a sudden you just think to yourself, oh, I just needed a little bit of the grace, but so-and-so over there, man, he got a bucket full. (laughs) Because he needed a whole lot more than me. No, no, no. We all needed it. We're all in the same condition. All those who were, were destitute in the eyes of God and only the grace of God could solve that. So you've got to take care of, we've got to take care of that in our lives. We've got to look within, so we're looking up, and we're looking within. These are successful tips. Now we're going to go from there. And we've got to not only do that, but the most important part is to look up. Notice in, as, he, as he ends this section, he says, looking to Jesus, the founder. Just stop there for a moment. I mean, here he's describing the originator. <laughs> that is what he's saying. The founder, the one who orchestrated all of redemptive history. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, and this this all of a sudden miraculous statement that says that there was going to be one who would be born who would crush the head of the serpent. That is the first identifiable gospel-centered message from the very beginning. So often through the course of of the Christian uh, faith, Different authors have described this, wrote hymns of them, and perhaps you even remember this one. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glorious grace. I mean, here are these hymns that were rich in theology that expressed uh, all of the riches of Jesus Christ. He says, look to Jesus, the originator of your faith, the perfecter, that word idea of completer, one who completed the race successfully. If you want to know how to complete this race, how to live this race, the mindset to have, the desires to have, the compassion to have, start reading the Gospels. If you're a new believer and you're thinking, how do I do this? Oh, get yourself immersed in the Gospels of Jesus Christ. Watch him love people. Watch him care for people. Watch him speak truth when it's hard. Watch him endure suffering and never leave the course of the Father's will. In the most intense form of suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane, you and I both know it. We know these words. He says, not my will, but yours. Oh, Christian, that ought to be our our statement as well. We look to Jesus who completed this race because it was a joy that was set before him. Look at the motivation. If you're you're living and running this Christian race and all of a sudden you're not doing it with joy, how in the world do you expect to draw other people when all of a sudden you're like, come on, it's worth it. You will not. They will repel it. If that's what it's like, I want nothing of it. So yes, Christian, in the midst of challenges, joy doesn't always mean that you have a smile on your face as as something's broken on you. But you have a deeper, deeper understanding of purpose and meaning. And that produces joy. Jesus had that. 
When he looked to the Father and he said, not my will, he knew his desire to glorify him. And notice in Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, he says this, I glorified thee on, on the earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given me, and now glorify thou me together with thyself, Father, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus was motivated by the relationship with the triune God and he knew that the moment he would leave this earthly body, he would be welcomed again into the presence of the triune God, filled with the relationship that he experienced with joy, having been submissive to the Father's plan, had been empowered by the Spirit of God who spoke the truth and proclaimed the truth and evidenced the truth by miracles. And he endured the cross he ran the race that was set before him. Even though he was despised, and even in the Old Testament it says despised is somebody who hangs on a tree. Jesus wasn't hanging on the cross going, hey, look at me, I'm doing it. A darkness fell and it was pain and separation for you and for me. He experienced the most intense amount of suffering so that we could find freedom and grace and the Lord Jesus Christ. As you and I think about these things and we look at our own lives and we say, you know what? We got to ask ourselves, how well are we doing looking around, living within community? You know, perhaps you're here for a long, long time and you're just, you know, I, I say this and I think, you know, because our culture is so challenged with this, people just like to attend and not belong. Can I just tell you from the heart of one of your new elders, Belong. Belong to a local community. Because it's there that you will be able to look around. It's there that you're going to be able to be, get help looking within. It is there where you're going to get the truth and impacted by, 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 by rubbing shoulders with other believers. And most importantly, you will be in the midst of a context of people who are driving each other to look up. Because without that, we will never run the race successfully, ever. And I would just challenge you as you think about these things. Don't just leave it here this morning. If you're here and you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, can I just tell you something? You're not even in the race. You haven't even started. You didn't hear the gun go off. The only place that the race that you're running leads is to hell. And I say that with all due respect because I love you and I care for you, but I'll tell you, if you don't realize that, you're going to get to the end of that journey and you thought you were going to be at the end of one place and you're going to be at another. And you're going to be shocked. And I don't want you to be. The gospel of Jesus Christ has been given so that you and I don't have to wonder, is a hope so eternal destiny? It's a no-so. You can be assured that Jesus can save you. John says, I know these things are written that you can know that you have eternal life. He doesn't say that you hope that you can have eternal life. It's known, and you can be assured. Come to faith in Christ. Come find one of the elders or another Christian brother or sister here this morning. Make it, make this, start the race. It's not just going to be perfect. It's going to be challenging, but I'll tell you what, you'll be doing it with other people who love the Lord Jesus Christ and will help you all along the journey. Whether you're a new believer or a long-time believer, I would just encourage you. Are, you. are you taking time to be involved in the local community? Being part of the let us? Not just a let us when I feel like it. Let us when it's convenient. Let us if I have time. Be part and belong. It's so critical and so important for running the Christian, Christian race. You know, perhaps even take some time this afternoon as an individual and begin to maybe write two columns on a piece of paper and meditate later on to say, what are the weights that are impeding my Christian race? And maybe on the other side, list the sin. It's very interesting in the text, and you can mark it, that it uses the definite article in front of the word, and the sin. Because there are the sin or particular sins for different people that they struggle with more than others. List those and say, what am I going to do about that? Am I going to get rid of this weight? Am I going to deal with my sin? Do I need others to help? I'll tell you, if you don't take the time, you'll kind of blow by it and go, oh, another sermon, another podcast, another book, and you won't deal with the things in your life that are impeding the race and your relationship with Jesus Christ. 
I would encourage you to take some time this afternoon as a sense of application. It might be as a husband and wife, it might be as an individual, and it might even be as a family. Or it might even be with friends or other youth saying, let's list some of these things. Let's pray for each other. We need to uphold each other, make sure we're looking at the Lord Jesus Christ. And lastly, I just say, are you keeping your eyes on Jesus Christ or all the things that are going on in the world? If you pay so much attention to everything that goes on in the news, all of your hope and all of, your, uh, all of the things that are going on, you think that your hope's in a political system, and it's not. It's in Jesus. Maybe, maybe you need to even cut back on whatever news station you're listening to for a while to remind yourself that you spend more time with Jesus and less time with whatever news outlet. Because Jesus is what matters the most. He's coming, by the way. We can look to him as the author and finisher of our faith. This is exactly why, as we close this sermon this morning, that Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 11, I love this text, who, though being in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, and he bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That ought to motivate you to run your, your race. It is not for your comfortability. It's not for, the, for looking better amongst people. It is for him and him alone. If something else is motivating you in the race and all of a sudden you want to be a glory grabber and just get a little piece of it yourself, you're wrong. We often become that way if we take our eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ and we have to remember this race is all about the exaltation of him. The more we do that, the more he's pleased with us, and the more the Father is glorified. And isn't that why we exist? It is. It's why this community exists of believers here at the chapel. We exist to glorify God. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much. It's for you and you alone that we run this race Lord, you even made it possible for us. We wouldn't even be in the race if your spirit had not drew us to this saving understanding of our need to repent of our sin and trust in this glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I just pray as we, as we Lord, live within a community of believers, whether we take running this race seriously in a way that we would exalt your precious name, help us do that. Lord, in your name we pray. Amen.